Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easy, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. Here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like I have an outlet for the creativity and ideas I want to share with the world. I recommend you give it a try. We all have a voice, so share it with the world. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today. What a perfect picture that God has cosmic rules in place. And he's not going to violate those rules, even if it means evil gets to triumph for a season. But ultimately, he is going to win. He is going to show himself glorious. He's going to let things play out. Evil and humanity and their and their rebellion is going to let it play out because ultimately it's that contrast between good and evil that shows how good he is that we probably wouldn't see without it. Welcome to the Days of Noah podcast, where we talk all things biblical, supernatural, and strange. This week we're going to be reviewing Blurry Creatures episode 137, on the Wandering Stars with Doug Van Dorn, and also getting into some of the ideas of counterfeit gods and how that plays out against the true God and his cosmic rules. All right, well, welcome back, guys. I'm glad we could get together on uh, last day of the year, and we're going to be reviewing uh, Blurry Creatures episode 137 with Doug Van Dorn, one of the show's favorite guests, one of my favorite guests, too, and he's going to be talking about uh, wandering stars and kind of that idea of astrology versus kind of a biblical understanding of uh, astrology versus it being like a, a false religion. And so just looking at um, uh, Doug's profile, he's a pastor of a church, and his website, rbcnc.com, has tons of sermons and PDFs. Just his section on uh, the book of Revelation alone has about 40 entries, uh, PDFs, to go with each sermon. So that would be really cool to check out. But also, uh, one of his books that I'm reading that I'm really enjoying is uh, Giant Sons of the Gods. And I love how he gets into a lot of the uh, giant tribes 
um, that the Nephilim infested tribes that Israel dealt with in uh, in the land of Canaan and, and surrounding areas, because it it really answers some of the uh, the chief objections that atheists bring in that uh, that God of the Bible is some genocidal maniac who's calling for the death of every last man, woman, and child. And if we can have an understanding that perhaps these uh, there's good evidence these tribes were infiltrated and infested with uh, hybrid DNA and it led to just incredible wickedness, you know, we get a, a much better context for for why uh, God would would call for the harem, the the um, complete destruction of these tribes. Uh, but kind of the theme, I think, of the of the episode of uh, Blurry Creatures is this idea again of of counterfeit versus reality. Um, you know, we think of uh, you know God creating something first, as uh, Luke on the show, uh, one of the hosts on the show, pointed out, and then it's kind of hijacked uh, after that. You know, like like the stars of the sky are meant to point to God; they're His angelic host. But to ancient pagans, they were the gods to be worshipped and to be controlled for their own uses. Um, so, Don, what, what were some of the things that kind of stood out to you as you were uh, listening to that episode? Well, I listened to episode 137 uh, two times uh, as I wanted to kind of really kind of drink it in. Uh, I listened to it with some a uh, bit of caution as uh, when it, you know, whenever things start to go into Zodiac or astrology or, I mean, we even had some bath curtains that had all those, you know, strange suns and moons on it. And I told my wife I didn't really care for it. Right. Now it's yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really cool. But to me, it was leaning into some sort of a Zodiac kind of a situation that I, I've always been very cautious of. Um, and then when I start thinking of that, I start thinking of tarot cards and all that stuff. So, um, so as I listened, uh, listened to it, um, I, you know, I, I drank in what they were talking about. Um, I guess the, the, the one thing I would say that stood out to me was an idea that came to my head in that God does through the Bible, have us look at the sky for signs. Um, says, you know, when the, you know, you know, when to harvest the crops, you know, when the weather's going to be good or bad and things like that. So I think that there's something to it, but I also think that if God wanted us to be diving into this, into the stars very deeply, he would have given us specific instructions to do so and specific guidelines for doing so. And that's where I kind of got a little bit, I wouldn't say weirded out, but I, I got a little bit more cautious as I as I uh, listened. Yeah, that makes sense. I think um, that that's a good way to put it, because if you think about the difference of how someone who has no interest in God, who is trying to kind of uh, find his own, whether it's New Age um, or predicting the future or, or some other way that uh, God says, don't mess with this stuff. Um, they're doing so for their own purposes, to have their own control over situations. They're not doing so in order to honor God with it. And you're right, we don't get that 
kind of prescription from God. Here, here, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay things out in the heavens, and I want you to do this. You know, certainly there are there are times where uh, signs in the heavens do mark certain events, as it seems with Revelation 12, the birth of the Messiah. But those are kind of they're kind of sparse, right? They're kind of just speckled in in certain places that God will do that. Not like, I want you to base your whole life on this, and this is going to map out your future, right? Is that kind of the distinction you noticed? Yeah, I would. I would say that um, you know, the uh, the way that the zodiac works, and the way that uh, you know, at least from my understanding of it, is kind of a culty, mm-hmm. a little bit, um, and I do see that like. To your point, um, God does not say, um, you know, prophecy from the stars or I'm going to map out your life by the stars. Um, but he, he does, uh, you know, to be to be fair to the topic, he does mention in different places of the Bible uh, that there is a, a usefulness to us by being aware of what's going on up in the heavens. Yeah, I, I've, I heard it put uh, this way when you look at... Uh... Uh, the verse in Genesis, you know, he says, uh, uh, I'll, I'm making, let there be lights in the heavens, let them be for signs and for seasons. I heard someone put it this way, it's like, it's kind of God's billboard. And so there are there are occasions, I think, in, in history and perhaps in the future where he does uh, create certain events. It might be an eclipse or, uh, you know, a blood moon or something like that. That that may be uh, surrounding a, a certain event or a change of a season um, in in God's purposes, but yeah, I, I think we could get we could get sucked into kind of um, looking at those too intently or or with selfish motivations or trying to predict the future. As uh, on the show, they mention uh, John Hagee's books on the on the blood moons about ten fifteen years ago and. <laughs> I I have to admit I was I, I was into that at the time and thought wow what's going to happen next year or, or this year and I don't know if there were some events tied to that that people can prove or not but um, as as Doug says on the show I think you know fool me once fool me twice hundred fifty times he says you know we can, we can kind of get kind of get burnt by uh, by jumping into those. Well, I think I think balance is is a is a healthy thing because um, you you spoke it in the beginning about counterfeits. So there's things that God will use, and we're talking about the heavens. We're talking about the stars, the moons, the planets. You know, there's it. God will use those things for for signs and for seasons. It's in plain in the scriptures. But the enemy will also twist that and counterfeit it or corrupt it for his evil intentions. Just like we know there's the, a true gospel, then there's all these counterfeit gospels. You know, he'll take an element of truth and pollute it, and it will take you down a rabbit hole that's going to lead you away from Christ. So we have to have a, an element of balance with this and that we're not putting all our 
our hope, our trust, our 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 insights, or you know, the horoscope type of mindset, you know, that that is directing our steps versus what God is is trying to lead us. Because, like we said last week, Pete, you know, we we're going through the biblical narrative of the the magi, the wise men, who are using the Bible, the prophecy, and also looking at the heavens to declare, hey, the Messiah is on the horizon. We're going to go find him. So they did use some the, the scripture and they used God's creation to uh, to lead them to the path of, uh, you know, the gospel, honestly, because it's written in Luke, you know. So I think we kind of need to look at it from not dismiss, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but, and I think that's what Pastor uh, Van Horn was trying to do. He, I think he was trying to have a balance with this that, um, you know, we're not 100% subscribing to astrology, but let's, let's just kind of understand where they're coming from. Because even the New Age movement will will have a little bit of truth in it if we were to examine it. So I, I just wanted to add that point. No, that's that's important. Um, and and one thing too that um, as I'm as I'm kind of reflecting back in my own life over this last year, um, just this understanding that you know Satan as the father of lies. Right, and one of the most potent types of lies is where it has an element of truth to it. But then, even on top of that, something I believe can be a hundred percent true, an actual fact, actual reality, but still as dangerous as a lie if your focus is on it. If if there's perhaps a larger truth, a bigger truth that is more important and your focus and emphasis is on this smaller truth. So it may not even be a half-truth. It may be 100% real. You know, I, I like to use this analogy, you know, uh, does a bulletproof vest offer protection? Yes. If you wear one and stand out in the highway, how, uh, how protected are you? Not very, not very much. So it's this idea that kind of a bigger truth swallows up a smaller truth. And I think that's, it's in addition to outright lies, half-truths, but also full truths that Satan uses uh, in order to kind of divert our our, our attention. Um, so yeah, so kind of what we're talking about as we go through a lot of understanding of, of the ancients and how they were looking towards other gods and different things is is that there was something there that was alluring and attractive. You know, it wasn't all made up. Um, and and so one of the, some of the things that they did, again, we talked about it a little bit, was how they laid out their, their cities. Um, but I just want to go through a few, um, a few verses kind of talking about how stars is used in the, in the Bible. Because, Luke, you remember, uh, I think it was our second recording where... I was talking about some of my coworkers' objections to Correct. the, the yeah. idea of sons of God, right? Right. Well, uh, Doug on this episode uh, brought up that that same verse in Job, where where God is saying to Job, you know, where were you when I 
was laying the foundations of the earth and all, all of these things that I did in creation. And my coworker had said, so that verse where it says, uh, where were you when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? And so my coworker's position was, see, they're talking about stars, like actual like lights in the sky. This is not some angel. And so he was taking both descriptions to mean like a physical star. And to Doug's point on the show, he says that's what's basically known as a parallelism. So it's a gr- grammatical thing that it was very common in, in Hebrew writing where you say the same thing with two different uh, words or, or verbiages. So morning stars, and then in the same sentence, sons of God. So they're actually combining those two concepts together and saying, these are both, you know, created beings. And then we have other language like in Psalm 148, praise him, sun, moon, and stars. And again, we can kind of, you know, potentially think of that figuratively. But but if you think of these things as possibly, uh, you know, his, his angelic host, then it, it makes a lot more sense that they could be literally praising, not just, oh, well... Like my coworker said, this, the stars praise God by shining their light, you know, kind of metaphorical. Um, and then and an he's I, not wrong. Yeah. There is reference to creation groaning and creation praising. And even I think it was in the Gospels that he said, if you don't praise, even the rocks will cry out. You know? Yeah. So, so there's something you to have to, that. You have to. Yeah, you got to look at the context and, and you got to look at it from both angles. Which which which. Uh, noun are we looking at? Is this a created inanimate object or is this something that is a son of God, a created being? And and a lot of times, as we've talked about, I think there's multiple layers of meanings in things that God says. Like they're just so, as uh, Dr. Judd Burton would say, pregnant with, with all kinds of meaning. So sometimes there's multiple layers. And um, the late uh, Chuck Misler said, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like, the more he took the Bible literally, the more things just opened up for him that he didn't see before. So if we if we try to see how is there a possibility that maybe this is meant literally, not always, but sometimes we get multiple layers of things, of meanings. Um, in Isaiah 14, uh, 33, um, I believe talking about Lucifer, you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. So the way uh, Doug takes this on the show is uh, he says that's about ruling the divine council, not just being a part of it, but actually like, I will ascend above the stars of God doesn't doesn't just mean, oh, look at me, I'm, I'm higher than, you know, the... Then, then all these lights in the sky. Okay, yeah, that's that's nice. So you, you're sitting in a tall chair. Who cares? But it's actually meant like I'm going to be exalted above my fellow divine council. It was a position of authority. It was a it was a ruling. It was and being envious of a, a position of power. Is yes. why I understood it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh. In Matthew 24, um, Jesus is talking about after the tribulation, the stars will fall from heaven. 
and the powers of heaven will be shaken. So, and then I think in Revelation it talks about that too, or, you know, well, with with the dragon, right, the stars being thrown down to earth and things like that. So, obviously a physical star, if it is, and I have my doubts that it's it's what astronomers and astrophysicists say it is, because it's a, it's a light in the sky, and we, we can't touch it and, and put it in a test tube or anything, but... If it is what they say it is, it's a burning ball of gas. Yeah, we got some major problems if that's getting hurled to the earth. <laughs> so so I think we have to take a different view. And the, and the Bible has, like we're talking about, many, many instances where stars are referred to as, as beings, not just, uh, yeah, a, a, a non-sentient, uh, inanimate object kind of thing. Um, one of the concepts, too, that, that Doug brought up was this idea of Eden, as Mike Heiser talks about, being the, the cosmic mountain of God, of paradise. And mountains also often associated with where the gods reside because it's it's hard to get to, so it's kind of separate from, from humanity. And that the Tower of Babel was kind of the counterfeit Eden that... Um, that the people building the tower were trying to ascend to the gods or or counterfeit or overthrow the true god just that some sense of uh, of of recreating uh the cosmic mountain for their own purposes and then we see that again with the structures that a lot of these uh societies have built so in uh in Egypt the pyramids of Giza are actually laid out to emulate Orion's belt, the constellation Orion. Uh, you got serpent mounds. Uh, Doug mentioned one in Florida that's also built to mirror constellations in the sky over Florida. Uh, in Cambodia, there's a temple called uh, Angwar Wat that is laid out according to the constellation Draco. And then they mentioned uh, that uh, 15-year-old Canadian teenager who discovered that Mayan cities were laid out exactly to the constellations over that part of the world. Uh, or Cusco, the, in, the Incan uh, capital. We talked about Cusco a little bit with the, with the megaliths. Uh, they built that whole city in the shape of a puma. And you have uh, the constellation Leo, like a lion, uh, over that city. So I would like to, uh, I mean, add this. Obviously, you're naming all these examples, and you know, electric electricity wasn't around. The light pollution that we have right now um, wasn't uh, wasn't there. So they were able to see the heavens much more clearly than we are, um, and so it was it was used uh, it it influenced them it influenced them greatly yeah and it and it was their motivation to build all these structures so it's good to understand their motivation and why they did these things and how it's tied together um what i'd like to get back to what um the pastor was was referencing how was he in this episode using astrology what was what was his main point on uh, bringing that up, on on how the ancients would have used astrology, or or that, rather how that was, or rather was how, that how biblically we should be using it. 
I guess I, I'm trying to remember the episode and, and what, yeah. how he. I think I think it was again this idea of counterfeit, but then also understanding why did they take in some cases you know decades to to build these structures to lay out these cities in this fashion, and and so uh, one point uh, or question that uh, that the host Nate uh, brought up was this idea that they were they were trying to connect with these gods, try to invite them, try to pay homage to them. Um, you know, can ha- invite their power for their own purposes, and Doug kind of answers that. He says, "Yes, a thousand percent. Yes, that's that's what they were trying to do." So it's it's like to Don to your point about about caution, as as they were going full bore into, oh yeah, let me let me jump into this. I know these things are actual entities, and I want them to be a part of my life. I wanna I wanna interact with them. And these are the kinds of things God says, don't mess with it. Yeah, it might be real, but you're you're inviting things into your life that uh, you don't you don't have control over. Just like witchcraft and occult and Satanism, you know, people are attracted to some of the the power and that they can actually affect things. But you're inviting uh, entities into your life that you can't control and don't have your best interest in mind. Instances, yeah, where they were trying to pay homage and invite these gods, trying to bring heaven to earth, um, and it, and it's a counterfeit too. Like uh, like Doug brought up uh, the Lord's Prayer, you know, Thy will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. So kind of this idea of of heaven and earth uh, mirroring one another, you know, there's something to that. But again, if your purpose is to kind of have the power in your own hands versus giving homage to the creator and not created things. You know, I think that's kind of where the distinction comes in. Um, and then we have, um, so I mentioned Cusco and uh, Serpent Mounds. Uh, and then we also have, like even in Wa- uh, Washington, D.C., I think this would be uh, an interesting uh, episode to do in the future just how Washington, D.C. is laid out according to a lot of occultic, uh, Masonic uh, type of ways. Um, have you guys heard anything about, about some of that? How, uh, how even, the, even the shape of the, the streets and different things in D.C. Is, has, has some uh, occultic meanings? I have, yeah. I, I, I can't recount it uh, in detail, but yeah, the overlay, um, even... Washington mon- monument, monument um, yeah, is, is uh, an obelisk, um, and it with ties to Egypt, uh, Egyptian it? ties. I, yep. Yeah. What What have you heard, Don, or, or do you recall? I wish I could speak on that subject. I I found that part um, fascinating. Um, I remember seeing a movie. Uh, it was a Nicolas Cage movie, and I can't remember the name of it. Oh, American National Treasure. Treasure. National Treasure. Yeah. And <laughs> that movie was just fantastic in that, you know, showing all the old, uh, you know, 
uh, things that maybe the Masons might have done or all those kind of the secret things uh, that might be uh, in that city. And, and quite honestly, I mean, I would I would love all that to be, you know, completely true because that kind of stuff is just exciting, you know, um, and it just kind of shows it shows a depth of uh, of of uh, humans that uh, that is just uh, I guess we're, we're as humans, we're, we're pretty much um, limitless. And I think that God wants, God has to keep us kind of in check as, uh, as it was said back in, uh, in Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, nothing, they will be able to uh, accomplish everything. Nothing, nothing will be, um, how does he put it? Nothing will be um, impossible for them, right? Yeah, I think that I think that speaks to even um, you know the watchers in giving technology to humanity that we were either never meant to have, or we were never meant to have at least then. Like it was way too much power um, for humanity to have. You know, it's like it's like giving a sixteen-year-old kid on his on his birthday a nine hundred horsepower supercar. Like that's you're just asking for major trouble. You know, and and I think part I think part of the uh, the receiving a knowledge in your example is is spot on. It has to do with character. You know, you don't give an immature individual certain things. Well, look at us as created beings, uh, freshly created by God, Adam and Eve. We hadn't. We were holy. We were made in His image. But our character, their character, hadn't been tried yet. And, mm. you know, in order for God to allow free will to take place, both in the angelic sons of God and the humanity sons of God, you know, there had to be an element of us failing. And without the chance to fail, you don't have a chance to prove your character. Right. And um, so that's kind of what this life is. is It's a chance to prove ourselves, in my opinion. We're we're called to be holy. We're called to be perfect. But we're never going to get to that without his grace, without his Yeah, that's why Scripture says lacking lacking in nothing. You know, that, what is it, uh, uh, patience will will lead to, to character. And so I know I'm butchering the verse, but so that you will lack for nothing. Yeah, he wants us to be mature. So I almost feel like the the knowledge that you're referring to, um, whether it's technology or these, or these understandings of things, in the hands of the immature, the hands of those that haven't worked out holiness and has these these character traits, it's a dangerous tool because you're easily persuaded. Because what does it talk about with the flesh? The flesh has to be crucified. It can't be redeemed. Well, in our fallen state, may, maybe there was an opportunity for Adam and Eve to perfect themselves and get to a level where, okay, God could trust them. They, they achieved what they needed to achieve in maturity. Okay, now go eat of the tree of life and lock in that holiness that you, that you have. All but right. when they fell, they, they would have locked in... The sinfulness. The sinfulness. I think, too, there's something to that, too, if you look at how you're talking about, you know, humanity not being tested yet, and we're kind of in our 
immature infancy, you know, when, when we were first created, you look at kind of the ways that God set up laws, you know, very, very basic, eye for an eye, you know, just really, really simple, just giving a structure. Because, yeah, society was very uncivilized, and we had a lot to learn. So he's, he's kind of laying that physical groundwork. And then later, of course, when Jesus comes, well, now he's, he's upping the standard. Now it's about your heart. Now it's about your motivations. It's not just these outward sins, right? There is definitely some simple things, but as I've dug into the Old Testament, it, it was almost to my mind that the Lord made it very obvious to humanity, uh, to the Israelites, that, that you can't obtain this. If you if if you just if if you just fail on one letter of the law, it's as if you failed in all of them. So it's pointing humanity towards a need. It, it's you 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 don't need a saver unless you know your loss. Yeah, that's what the law was designed to do as a schoolmaster uh, to to lead us to right. Christ. No, that's true. And even in the Old Testament, people think, well, how did people get saved in the Old Testament? It was the same way. It was faith. You know, people don't realize it because you, you think in terms of the law, right? That was the, the covenant or whatever. But it was faith, and they knew full well they couldn't keep the law perfectly. Yes, because it is recorded of Abraham was perfected by his faith. Right. Yep. It- even though even though he had some some big failures of you know that's recorded with uh with how he treated his wife and and lying about different things i mean yeah some of these the biggest um uh the biggest names in in faith in the old testament couldn't keep couldn't keep the law and were were pretty egregious sinners but it was it was their faith you know david moses both were were murderers yeah um, yeah. So then we have um, uh, talking about what was the, the ancients would have called the the seven particular wandering stars. So so the word planet didn't exist way back when. It was they were called wandering stars. And uh, so the seven that uh, that Doug mentions are uh, Jupiter, Saturn, Venus, Mars, Mercury, and then they they also included the sun and the moon as part of them. And those were all uh, worshipped as deities uh, in the ancient world. And I thought it was really interesting, too, that that Doug made this connection. So if you guys recall in Revelation, where Jesus is talking about the seven churches, and they each had kind of their own character flaws, their their own issues, the, the, the bone to pick that, that Jesus had with each one of them was different, right? Right. And uh, so it's it's really kind of fascinating. Um, I don't have all the examples here, but so, for example, the, the church at Smyrna, um, let's see here. Let me see if I can bring up the, the reference here. Uh, so you had Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergama, Pergamum, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so apparently um, every single one of these corresponds to something in the heavens and has something similar to it. So Smyrna uh, was like the sun, which would be the largest, because I think that was in Ephesus, if I'm not mistaken, which was the largest. 
And then, uh, let's see here. One of the cities was, the way Jesus describes them uh, was similar to how the moon waxes and wanes. Uh, Pergamum was like Mars, the god of war. And Jesus says, I will war with you. Um, Sardis corresponded to Mercury, the god of thieves. And I believe that's the section where Jesus says he'll come like a thief in the night. And then Jupiter was like the king star. And so that was related to Philadelphia. Uh, Laodicea was to Saturn. Uh, known for uh, Saturn was known for its sluggish motion. And so I think there's some, some language there that Jesus says about Laodicea being being like a sluggard. So it's really fascinating how, how those things are all tied to like, not to say that they were, you know, ruled necessarily by the by these gods or, or something in, in the sky, but just kind of the, how that language ties in that Jesus used was, was something they would have connected to. Um, and then even in... Um, even in Israel, the way the 12 tribes were laid out, they were laid out in accordance to the 12 constellations uh, of the Zodiac. And so, again, we're not saying Zodiac like astrology, you know, horoscope, but but this is where we get it from, that there's, you know, constellations in the sky and there there's kind of these, these 12 chief uh, areas. And I, I wish I had the reference in front of me, but Doug was talking about um, the different tribes, God said, okay, you, you encamp on this side of the tabernacle, you on, on, on the north, you on the south, and so on. Let me ask you, Pete, just your, your opinion. If, if God was directing them, because he created the stars uh, first, and then you got the history of humanity, and they're playing it out here on, on the planet, and he's directing these tribes to go into different, why would he in your opinion, have them line up with constellations. What do you think is in God's heart that would be important that they would line up with anything that's in the sky? I, I'm not sure on, in terms of their specific orientation, that'd be something to, to look into more. But, but Doug does say that the tabernacle in the center is kind of symbolic of the sun in the center. And, you know, I think it's in Malachi, uh, God being called the sun of righteousness, S-U-N. Unless it had something very practical, like, um, you know, you you give your somebody a marching order, and then future generations might be like, what, what did God say? Oh, that constellation over here, I'm supposed to be at this, I'm supposed to be in the Northwest. I'm supposed to be, this is where my family sets up because that's where God put, that's where God put me. It's like, it may have to do with the, yeah, it may have to do with the division of tasks too. Um, so let's see here. Uh, so like, uh, in Daniel, it says the saints will be like the stars of God, will take their place. And Paul says we will judge angels. So I wonder if there is a a foreshadowing going on of, you know, these rebellious angels that we are taking their place in the divine council, as Mike, Mike Heiser says. And 
there may be a foreshadowing going on that that God had his reason that made no sense and had virtually no meaning, perhaps, to the Hebrews back then, or Israel, but is a foreshadowing to how we are going to be reconciled into the family and judging angels. So there there may be a tie in there. I'm speculating, but yeah, that's possible. Um, all right, kind of moving on. So... Yeah, I think what Doug said as far as that orientation was was kind of the tabernacle as the dwelling place of God in the center and, and kind of how it was laid out with them all around it. Um, and so kind of that tabernacle and the 12 tribes as an exact opposite to the Tower of Babel. One thing, one thing too, I've thought of too, guys. You ever thought of this, like how we call a celebrity a star? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's like idolatry, a god. Oh, you're a star. He and she, he or she is a star. I, I don't think. I, I don't. Can, I can, yeah. I don't think it's coincidental. I don't know. I just think it's just it's just one of those ways where it's tied into something false, right? I don't know. Just a thought. Did, uh, <laughs> did anybody uh, here read the entire series, uh, the C.S. Lewis series? Uh, about Narnia, Lion, the Witch, Wardrobe, and uh, I always stopped. I stopped at the first one. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Well, the last one, the last book, and and of course, all the books build up to this last book. The last book is completely out of this world, fantastic because it talks mm-hmm. about um, it talks about the stars as being. Really? As being uh, different entities uh, that that um, are are placed there for a reason. There was one uh, one that was a, a uh, one part of the book that talked about uh, you know rubies and diamonds as they come from the earth, and we look at them as uh, neat treasures. But um, the people who were living deep in the earth, um, they were food and they were delicious. And by the time by the time by the time we got them, they were rotten and and hard, and and it just kind of so. And there was That's there in one of the books. There's um, I don't want to spoiler this, but one of the books was uh, when they were underground uh, doing some sort of an adventure. They found this giant old man sleeping, and in the last book. He comes into play, and so it, it's it's a fantastic series. And I I'm not a reader, um, but I I went through that series uh, with some haste because wow. I I found it to be fantastic. That's- I might have to revisit that. And obviously, uh, C.S. Lewis and uh, Tolkien, they both kind of it makes you wonder: did they talk and and share? So you got the Lord of the Rings, and then you got the Narnia. And there's and there's some some similarities, mm-hmm. but it's definitely different different paths they take. And uh, I don't know. I'm gonna you sparked my interest. I, I got to check that out. Yeah. Well, we had we had an old set of uh, of the Narnia books uh, still around. I had it in the basement here that I inherited from mom and dad. And um, you're like you. I never went through you know more than the first one, uh, but. Uh, my daughter and I, uh, we've slowly been reading all the Little House on the Prairie books, and we just finished a couple months ago. So I'm like, well, what should we do next? Hey, let's do Narnia. 
and I'm I'm looking at it with like you um you guys kind of with with fresh eyes of wow this is this is how they actually saw the world this wasn't just fantasy to them um they thought this was reality at some point and it's it's kind of funny how Lewis will use these creatures and he how he decides which ones are on the good side and which ones are on the bad side because like like he'll use the satyrs the goat the goat men on the good side and you you look at the history of satyrs and stuff they're pretty deviant evil beings so it's just kind of funny how he picks you're exactly right one of the first books of chronicles of narnia the lion the witch and the wardrobe the children, what was the, one of the first creatures they the, meet? The fawn. Which is almost like a... a I think it's a satyr, like right? Pan. Yeah, like Pan. Yeah, like Pan, exactly. I mean, he was half human, and then had like a goat. Uh, uh, he was a chimera. And um, it makes you wonder, if we were to research just those two authors, what influenced them uh, spiritually or or literally in, in what they read to kind of come up with this. So it makes you That's wonder what question. was their, 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 uh, their worldview or their biblical view. Um, Cause we talk about on these shows, what was the influence of the early Christians? And they, they had Mesopotamian influence they had the book Enoch um, exactly. and that type of stuff. It makes you wonder what these authors had as influences uh, to motivate them. Yeah. See, every time we do this, guys, we come up, we come up with two or three new ideas for shows. So we're never, we're never going to run out. That's a good thing. Uh, yeah. And then um, uh, the, the host, uh, one of the hosts, uh, Nate, on the show asked a good question. question. He was asking... Are the gods put over the nations? Are they meant to rule justly or poorly? You know, and and I would add to that: Are they fallen angels at that point? Are they good angels? Um, and I think that ties back into Deuteronomy thirty-two, uh, where Mike Heiser goes into great detail about this in in uh, Unseen Realm, but this idea that the nations were given gods over them and God took Israel for himself. But then there, I believe there was like 70 other nations that each had kind of a, um, angelic divine ruler put over them as kind of a punishment, it seems. Um, and that's, uh, if you look at that verse, some texts say the son, according to the sons of Israel, but that's actually incorrect because Israel wasn't formed yet. Um, which I think is from the Masoretic, but then other texts will say sons of gods, and it makes a lot more sense in that context. But yeah, kind of wondering like, okay, we've talked a little bit about when did Satan fall? Uh, we don't have anything in the Bible other than Revelation 12 about other divine beings rebelling. So perhaps that didn't happen in the Garden of Eden or before, you know, uh, maybe it was the sin of the watchers or something after that that happened. Because if we get to Deuteronomy 32, it seems like these gods are fallen. These angels are not good. Because uh, remember, Daniel, um, he's praying, right? 
And Angel finally shows up three weeks later and says, I was delayed by the Prince of Persia. I had to get Michael to help me fight him. So this Prince of Persia was some uh, divine entity that was warring against a good angel. Okay, well, when did he fall? Was it this Deuteronomy 32 event that God placed these these beings over these nations? Well, they would have been... You know, it wasn't it wasn't like God saying, "Okay, you're going to be a bad guy now." Okay, I'm writing the script. You were a good guy. Now you're a bad guy. You're you're the prince of Persia. No, I think they would have fallen before that. But when is kind of <laughs> kind of my question. My, my thinking my thinking is the fall took place all at once. So the timing of the the third of the angels and Lucifer being the chief, they all fell at the same time, and it was like they got kicked out of the third heaven. That is where God's presence is. That's where God's throne is. And so they occupied, um, well, one thing we definitely don't know, and I know Tim uh, Alberino. Alberino likes to speculate some of the scriptures that there was this world planetarium, a soul, like a planetary type battle. Yeah, pre Adamic. Yeah, yeah. He looks at Earth that it was already created, but it was in this judgment state, you know. Um, So my mind is kind of like the angels are already out of the third heaven. They're occupying maybe um, this planet during uh, uh, its after the battle type of sequence, you know, before the creation of man. And they're also occupying the second heavens. So when the creation of Adam and Eve uh, took place, Lucifer has already fallen. He's observing God do these this rebirth. And um, in, in my mind, they're, they're already there. And, and then as humanity grows and it's, God says, be fruitful and multiply, he takes the opportunity to influence and to disrupt disrupt God's plan with humanity just over and over and over again. That's kind of how I envision it. So there's the, they physically came to earth, but they're also occupying the second heavens, which is documented in Daniel, where if an angel is coming from third heaven trying to get to earth, which you could call first heaven, he's got to go through that realm that is occupied by the enemy. Okay. And there's how do angels war? I don't know, but there was definitely a delay um, documented. So I don't know. That's kind of how I, that's an interesting thought. I'm, I'm challenged by, by what, you know, Mike Heiser and Doug Van Dorn have talked about that. There's no verse in the Bible other than revelation 12, that we have this idea of other angels so the stars being a third of the of the stars being swept by the dragon's tail we don't have that anywhere except in, in until revelation and revelation 12 according to them is connected to the timing of messiah's birth so that's where i get i start scratching my head and i go i don't know when these other angels would have fallen because if it's connected to the birth of the messiah they would not have fallen, at least the third of them anyway, maybe some smaller number. They would not have fallen until the time of Jesus' birth. So, yeah. But that doesn't, that timeline doesn't fit in my my thinking and yeah. my understanding of the scripture. Okay. Um, 
because you, I mean, we just said it with Daniel, you know, it wasn't just Lucifer himself that is warring against Michael. There was other. I mean, we know the sin of the watchers. So there, according to Enoch, there were 200. Go ahead, Don. I'm going to have to jet. Sorry, I'm sending my daughter off to uh, uh, the Dells with a friend. So No problem. Thanks for, thanks for I, hopping uh, in. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. All right. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yep. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, so we know we had the, the 200 uh, watchers, according to Enoch, and possibly more after the fact. Um, so, I'm yeah, I'm kind of wondering if it was these these sons of God, one of the higher higher ranking ones that were put over these nations. I don't know. Do you have, is there a particular scripture that's coming to mind? Not really. Okay. Um, I just, when, when Revelation is speaking of the third being swept, I believe that the Lord is making reference to what took place before creation. Okay. I don't believe it's a, it's an event that's yet to come. I believe it took place in time past. Um, and then if you look up the scripture that's describing Lucifer and his fall, I think it's in the prophets, maybe Isaiah. Isaiah, e- um, Ezekiel, yep. Yep. So he definitely wasn't the only one that fell. As, as far as far as what I've heard commentators and pastors preach. So my kind of thinking was during the time of the Watchers and during the time um is it possible that there was a third along with Lucifer of the angels that that fell and maybe God assigned good some heavenly hosts, some angels in a position of a watcher, whatever that assignment is. So they were kind of overseers of humanity as they're they're being fruitful and multiplying. And they were in addition, they fell, as we know, and then were locked up in everlasting chains, or at least um, until the appointed time of their release. I almost, it, 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 it's possible that those 200 were in addition to Lucifer and the third of heaven, of, okay. of the angelic fallen. Yeah, that's possible. I guess where I'm leaning towards is the third wasn't until Messiah's birth. But there were others. That seems like too late. Yeah, in my mind. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm. We, I guess we're. So if 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 if, yeah. if the if the third if the third of heaven has, doesn't fall until the time of Messiah's birth, mm-hmm. who who would be hindering Michael from answering? Yeah. So Daniel? I'm I'm with you on uh, on the path that there there would have been others that fell. You know, we have we have this this rebel in the Garden of Eden, the serpent. We have the two hundred watchers, and it's hinted at least that other incursions could have taken place. So, I think it has to do with something there. I mean, look at Tower of Babel. They were obviously trying to uh, get in touch with with beings that, if they were good angels they would not be enticing 
mankind to to get their worship, to give them power, and so on. So there was some sort of divine connection to to bad beings. Um, and again, we want to make the distinction that they weren't demons because demons were the fallen spirits of uh, the disembodied spirits, rather, of the giants after the giants died, and those are bound to earth. So we're talking about something on more the angelic level in the heavens, like you said. So I'm with you that there's there's some other fall. I just don't know if it's like a full third until later on. But we can kind of we'll kind of table that for now and and come back right. to it maybe with some more research because that's that's a tricky one. It, it, it but you're right. It goes against everything. Like we kind of our tradition is that a third of the angels rebelled with Lucifer. We just kind of think of that as in eternity past that happened. Um, so kind of going back to this concept of, of counterfeit versus real, um, you know, I talked about kind of how the, how something even real and true can still be counterfeit depending on, uh, you know, our, our focus, our emphasis on it. It was interesting. I think it was a, a, a video that Rob Skiba did, um, where he showed that you can use math, use equations in math to work out to something that is actually false, but mathematically it's true. And I, I've been trying to find this video, but it's really fascinating. So he said, okay, you know the, you know the cliche glass half empty, glass half full, right? They're, they're the same, they're the same thing. Um, and he proved it mathematically with correct math that the glass half full or half empty either way actually had nothing in it. <laughs> and it's like, what? So we know we can look at a, a half full glass and go, obviously it's it's got something in it, you know, besides air. And but he yeah. but he proved it mathematically that it actually was was empty. And it was something like uh like like 0.5, you know, half times zero or something like that. Well, what's the answer? Zero, you know. I, I, but it was it was more convoluted than that. And that makes me think of like um, so Tesla had a had a really good quote, and of course we know how ahead of his time he uh, he was. But let me find this quote here. So and again, this was back in his day, what hundred years ago or something. He said, today's scientists have substituted mathematics for experiments, and they wander off through equation after equation and eventually build a structure which has no relation to reality. And I think of some of these famous astrophysicists like um, Michio Akaku and, and, and uh, what's the other guy? Uh, I'm, I forget. Anyway, um, just this idea that they can be correct mathematically, but if their basis isn't in reality, then it can be completely false, you know? Um, so I think, I think that's just another way that, that a counterfeit religion can come into, into, um, into being is that it, it appears correct. If you're one of the first ones that create or understand the math, you got to look at it from so many different angles and, and I might solve it and think I'm right. And then someone goes back and like, well, you didn't, it's like, 
who says that it's wrong versus right? And how do you learn to check it from different ways? Mm. Just, you know, I don't know. That's well, there's so many rules and it's supposed to be precise. So that's where, you know, two plus two should always be four. And, but, but I've seen, I've seen, it does seem to be fluid. I've seen, uh, math professors, actual college, university math professors do videos on how that's, it's not always four. And they, so they, they get around it using math. So it's, it does get confusing. That's kind of a rabbit hole, but. Do you ever, do you ever seen the, the movie Beautiful Mind? Oh yeah, I have that. And and there's the he's racking his brain because he's trying to come up with something so cutting edge, and it's mathematical in his logic, but something that's never been done before, and and then you got to be able to, it's almost like science, you know, you got different hypotheses, and then you got to you got to test you got to test it, you got to prove it, and then if if it you. You come up with something that you think works, and you present it. It's almost like a peer review process. You prevent it, present it to other professionals, and then they analyze it. And if everybody checks the box and is like, "We agree," then it moves on, and it becomes becomes a truth. I think it's know, a, yeah. I think fact. it's an ever ever evolving, just like math and science. They're ever evolving. You can't say something is necessarily settled, and I think it's amazing how mathematical. God made the the universe because um, I mean if you just uh, Google or go on YouTube and look up fractals and how there's these there's never ending patterns in things like at microscopic levels and then we've talked a little bit about uh, cymatics you know that every frequency has its own geometric um, symmetrical pattern built into frequencies um, so yeah there's an there's an incredible amount of um, reality that God built into that. But another another thought that I've had over the years is you think about some of the, like these superhero movies, you know, Star Wars or Marvel series. And inevitably what happens when these when these beings or these these heroes have this much power. Like you think about humanity and our our selfishness, right? How how would that not be inviting worship of the self and and others wanting to emulate them and so on and so forth. And I just think it's just so wise of God to, you know, if you have some movie where, oh, we've got to capture this stone or this sword or whatever, because if the, if the dark side gets it, then they'll have all the power, you know? And it's just mm-hmm. like so wise. The ring. Of, yeah, the ring. It's, it's like so wise of God to say, no, um... You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna create this kind of stuff because all you would do with it is, it would be about the self. You know, it'd be like Thor with his hammer, and people would be like, "Oh, wow, look at Thor!" And that's exactly what happened. That's what we're saying. What happened, right? That that people were well, worshiping these gods. I think that's what I was gods. referencing. Yeah, I think that's what I was referencing earlier. It's not that God won't allow us to have it it's he's got to be able to trust us right we couldn't handle it and 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 you could even go in into the realm of uh of charismatic circles of of the church 
you know, where they're seeking signs and wonders and miracles. And I think those are all biblical things that we should be declaring and, and wanting the book of Acts type of stuff taking place today. But what did Paul say? If you have all these things and the ability to prophesy and all this stuff, but you don't have character, you don't have love, it profits nothing. So you got to have the foundation first before you can have these extra things. God's got to be able to trust us. Right. That's and I think point. that's what that's that's what the enemy definitely did with with all this influence that he did across the world. He 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 dangled all these things and people were enticed by the knowledge, they're enticed by the power, they're enticed by just the the depth of because it it expanded their brains because they had no concept when it came to the mathematics and the stars and all these different sciences and stuff it had to have been taught to them and as we know from the book enoch it was it was a quid pro quo you know it was a give and it was a take i will give you this if you give me the daughters right right well one of the technologies is you know, uh, makeup, and you think, well, what's wrong with that? Well, so again, it was it was a it was them not being able to be trusted with that knowledge, and it enhanced the you know this the seduction and and so on that was going on. So yeah, it was it was you know arts that you know we today would think there's nothing inherently wrong to it, but it's like you said, uh, being able to trust us with it in our kind of our 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 infancy of our human history. Um, yeah, it, it, it comes down to stealing worship that belongs to God, you know, the, that the gods are really the creators, right? That man is the measure of all things. We make our own rules. We become the stars. We become the gods. Um, just lost my train of thought. I'll come back. Yeah. So that the gods are really the creators. Um, yeah, just that, that, that counterfeit idea that we, that we say, is likely going to come in the end times where you know some some alien incursion or some you know the gods come back and say we are really your creators it's it's all about that counterfeit or like we talked about with uh, Michael Tellinger where he was saying the the Anunnaki created humanity as slaves so this is all like Sumerian Mesopotamian uh, stories that are a counterfeit history to the biblical narrative, the Book of Enoch, even though they they kind of draw upon one another. Um, so here's a thought I, I've been thinking about too this week. Um, so creation, right? It's meant to give God glory, but often ends up seeking its own glory. So I had a question: Why why didn't God just make creation less glorious? And so there'd be less <laughs> less allure, less temptation, right? See, I mean, you think about it, like some of some of the most powerful influences in the world, you know, possessions, power, sex, all these things. They could actually be twice or ten times more powerful to our emotions. Well, God made it, however powerful He made it to us. But you kind of think, well, why not just make it less so? So it's so it's less attractive. But then I thought, well. well people- yeah, people go. blame people blame God, and there's even I'm kind of vaguely thinking of a comedian that kind of is picking on God. Um, it's like you you want me to be holy, 
but yet you gave me the sexual urge. You made all these beautiful women that entice me. And just like, why are you trying to trick me like this? You know, <laughs> right. why are you, why are you, why are you torturing me like this? Mm -hmm. But that is not how God created it, you know, because we're in a fallen state. So you have to look at it in the completeness of it. Yeah. I think, I, I think in the end, it, it, it's God that he did it for his own glory. You know, he created sex for his own purpose, but also because he loves us. He wanted it to be pleasurable. You know, he created all these beautiful things of creation. Yeah, it's enticing. But if we have the right heart and the, and we keep him first, it enhances our life. Being able to taste food, all these different things. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy you know? enjoy food, not just, just keep you alive. Yeah, but then, so I kind of answered that question as I was thinking about it, that if things were less powerful around us, less attractive, whatever, um, then it would detract from the meaning and power when we choose to give him glory above all things. Then we're truly making a sacrifice for obedience to him. So if if there was this, if it, if like choosing the path God wants for us wasn't much of a sacrifice because the other things weren't weren't that great, you know, like like eating a stale cracker. Like, yeah, okay, it's food, but it's not that great. Well, it's not much of a sacrifice then if we if we follow Him. So in the same way, we say, you know, God didn't make robots; He gave us free will. If He made us to love Him and not sin as a robotic, you know, locked in frozen state. Well, that's not real love. So maybe by the same token, he he didn't want to dumb down all of these good gifts of the world because it wouldn't mean much, you know, if, if, if we were to, to follow God. I, I was going to add, too, that um, Tim Aberino says that God has a free will also. And and that's interesting, which is why we have to have it because we're made in His image. That's kind of that's kind of mind blowing that God has a free will, and you're like, well, He's kind of locked in His nature; He doesn't change. Look at it, the story of uh, or the interaction that's documented in, in the Old Testament between between God and Moses. God had purpose to wipe out humanity and start over. And then there's this interaction between Moses and God, you know, so it was like he had a free will of a, a choice. He wanted to do this unless, unless God in his wisdom being Alpha and Omega, knowing what Moses was going to do was, it was a test. It's like, I'm going to play, like I'm going to destroy everything and I'm going to see what you, how you respond. And he was, he was happy. He was, uh, 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 you know, he passed the test because here Moses is being the leader that God called him to be. And he's, uh, uh, uh he's interceding on their behalf and, right. and God, part of his character is merciful, you know? So I don't know. It, it's kind of interesting to think that. It is. And um, it's almost like a divine counsel moment too, where, where God got to uh, let him, let him be a part of the decision. Right. 
Um, and that kind of leads me to, you know, kind of this idea of God's omnipotence, which he is. It means all-powerful. But my opinion, and, and it seems like, you know, reality and scripture bears this out, all-powerful does not mean that he can do anything. And it seems like a, a non-sequitur, like that doesn't follow. But really, think about this. It's because of a few things. Number one, he can't change, right? His nature stays the same. So that's something he can't do. He can't go against his own nature. He can't violate rules that he set up already for creation. Like we've talked about the, the mankind having dominion over the earth. You know, Jesus saying, I couldn't do many miracles because of lack of faith. So he's set up cosmic rules about how things work, and he literally can't break those rules. So I've often thought, why doesn't God just snap his fingers? Like, have you seen um, have you seen all the Marvel movies, Luke? Where is it? Uh, Thanos? No, but... Okay, so there's, there's, a, there's a, a really powerful character who he's going to get these, um, these stones, and if he gets all the stones, then all he has to do is snap his fingers and think a thought, and it, it will happen. So he, he wants to wipe mm. out half of all the beings in the universe and start fresh with the other half. And so I've often wondered, why doesn't God, like, why does he allow Satan to have so much influence? And here we are suffering year after year with demons running around and all this stuff that he could just, I mean, he's God. He could just wipe it out, right? And it makes you think he's got some cosmic rules that he set up these beings are allowed to have a certain measure of authority, right? And it's because of the rules that he set up that he's going to play by them. Yeah, I've heard Pastor Doug Riggs talk about that when he's ministering and ex- um, exposed to the, the probably the most humane, inhumane aspects of um, the enemy and also humanity working together. And, and he... He had to grow what he describes as his God box, you know, and and really understand. It's like, okay, how how does how does God allow this, you know, and how does God tolerate it, and how is God using it for His purpose, even though He didn't cause it? It's it. the responsibilities on the individual and on the enemy, and you know. Um, God is not to be mocked. They will reap what they sow. And um, so it, 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 it does, I think it, it requires us to, to grow in our understanding of the Lord. And we got a finite human mindset here in this body. But um, I think as we grow in the Lord, we can, we can come to understand a little bit more on what he's trying to accomplish. I, I think God's too also a, an idealist. And he's also, you know, obviously incredibly genuine and authentic. And if and if he's going to give his creation a meta- measure of free will, of power, of control over different things, he, he's not going to interfere with those things. He's going to let them play out in the ways that he's set up. Um, and, and I think that lends towards the authenticity of it. You know, because if you were to change the rules mid-game, 
oh, okay, God, right. you're, you're just cheating. You know, of course, he could do that because right. he's God, but it, it wouldn't mean as much. If if you could change the the rules in the middle of the Super Bowl and then win, that doesn't mean so much. And I, and I think I think that's I think that's a, a good point to uh, to emphasize because if the fall of Lucifer and the third of the angels took place before creation of man and the rules were already in place before that took place. I feel like the enemy in his wisdom knows the rules. Oh, definitely. And, yeah. And I mean, the interaction between Lucifer and Job or Lucifer and God on behalf of Job, he understood some of these rules and you're right. I think if God was to change the rules, um, Lucifer would call him out on it and he might, and, and maybe wouldn't have the sentence or the judgment pending against him. I mean, why, why was it that God, what allowed the iniquity to reach fullness? It's described of, I think in the promised land, you have the Amorites um, with these, the Amorites, yep. the iniquity of the Amorites to reach. That's, that's kind of a puzzling thing. Unless, almost like, and, and Don's a detective, it would be nice to hear his perspective on this, how um, a detective or a prosecutor or someone that's building a case against, uh, yeah, you're, you're watching, you're observing, you're, you're seeing this criminal activity take place, but you choose not to bust them at that second. You're waiting for... You know, as we see in the crime shows, you don't want to slap on their wrist for, you know, if you've got a big mob boss, you don't want to just bust them on a misdemeanor. You want to get them on the biggest felony charge, murder charge, you know, the thing that's going to put them away for good. Yeah, you don't and, want to get the, the lower know, level guy. And if you allow it to build the iniquity, to build to a certain point... They're, they're incriminating themselves. They're, uh, Pastor Doug Rigg calls it uh, the, the Lucifer's caught in a double bind. Mm. You know, he's. And then you can throw the book at him. Yep. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, too. So I'm, I'm getting towards the end of the first Narnia book, going back to that. And here you have the White Witch talking to Aslan. Of course, Aslan is the, the Jesus uh, prototype or, or archetype. And. He said, and she says, look, the, the, the law says that if there is a traitor, and that was Edmund who, who betrayed his brothers and sisters, that, uh, that I get to take blood. And, and that's why, see, I forgot about this. I've seen the movies, you know, that's why uh, he makes the transaction to give himself, because by rights, she had authority to take a life and so um he spared edmund and took took his his place just like christ on the cross for us but i thought that was fascinating reading it in the book just last night because not only is it perfect obviously it's an allegory of of the gospel but what a perfect picture that god has cosmic rules in place 
and he's not going to violate those rules, even if it means evil gets to triumph for a season. But ultimately, he is going to win. He is going to show himself glorious. He's going to let things play out. Evil and humanity in their their rebellion, he's going to let it play out because ultimately it's that contrast between good and evil that shows how good he is that we probably wouldn't see without it. Right. And back to kind of the, the overall theme of this is, you know, talking about the counterfeit. We, we can't, we have to understand, um, you know, when the enemy tries to counterfeit something, we have to remember that, you know, it's, there's something authentic, um, that God had put in place and, and not to be distracted by all the confusion because he's the author of confusion by all these counterfeits. And it seems like, you know, it's, things aren't clear. Um, I don't know. It's just, uh, get back on right focus. Yeah. I I've heard it. I've heard it said that, you know, when, when, um, a law enforcement or FBI agent is, is trained on, on like, uh, uh, counterfeit money, how to spot it. They don't look at all of the fakes. They, they study the real thing and they notice mm-hmm. every detail about the real thing because then you can spot every fake. You just compare oh. it to that. Okay. So you start you start there with the real thing, um, and then you can spot everything else. But if you start with a fake and it looks pretty good, you could definitely be convinced. Hey, this is real, um, right, and right. it would make a lot a lot of sense. But and I think that's kind of how the blindness of of the world is. You know, before we come to understanding God as the Creator and our 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 Savior and our friend, is that. Um, we don't see it clearly, and what we see as reality looks real, and, and it's ultimately not. Well, that's a that's a great place to end for now. There's some more stuff that uh, was in the episode that we can get to uh, next time. I wanted to kind of get into Doug's view of uh, of millennialism, of the, the Christ millennial reign, uh, which he has a kind of unique take on that. But I think that'd be a, a good topic in and of itself to go into. So. We will save that for another time. Sounds good. All right, man. Good discussion. We'll see you next time, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. listening to the days of noah podcast thanks for tuning in please give us a positive review a thumbs up share with your friends and family i really appreciate all of your support in that way it really helps to get this podcast out to more people so thanks for your support and thanks for tuning in join us next time Mm -hmm.